Are you like Ralph? That's the name our guest today gave to a bird who flew into the window by his breakfast nook. Ralph didn't die, but he was so stunned by his flight into that glass that he stood on two legs, his chest pumping with each labored breath, looking at all his friends flitting and flying around him. And Ralph looked afraid to fly, alive but flummoxed. Is that how you feel today? That's how a lot of people in ministry feel. When I say in ministry, immediately you think, well, you're talking about pastors, right? Well, yeah. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in ministry, even if it's not leading a church. How many ministry walls have you hit? How many invisible barriers have knocked you dizzy and left you afraid to do what you were called to do? And what is that? What does that word mean, called? If you long to soar, but you live frightened and flummoxed, today's conversation is for you. As we talk with Pastor Kerry Schmidt, I wrote these words about his book a while ago. What if your setback, the adversity and discouragement you're facing, is God's invitation for something better? Maybe that will strike a nerve in your heart today. You're going to hear from Kerry Schmidt straight ahead on Chris Fabry Live. Thanks to our partners behind the scene, Ryan McConaughey, doing all things technical. Trisha's our producer. Gabby T is in the chair today. Thank you, Gabby T. Ryan, if you're wondering what that noise was, it was my clock. I hit my clock and uh, sent it across the desk. So now you know. You don't have to worry if that was something in your car or your office. It was me. Thanks uh, to our friends and partners who support this program financially. December's a big month for every ministry. I need a new clock now. <laughs> if, uh, if this ministry has meant something to you this year, Call or click through today. I want to put a copy of my novel, Saving Grayson, in your hands. What I'd like to do more than that is to put this story in your heart because somebody you know is right now going through the ringer with an Alzheimer's diagnosis or a dementia diagnosis. And it's different for everybody. That's one of the things I learned writing this, researching it. It's it's different for everybody, but there are similarities with all the families, with all the people who have been diagnosed. On one level, the story works as a whodunit, a mystery that unravels as Grayson's life unravels. On another level, it's the fight to love someone well who cannot reciprocate. (laughs) You love somebody who just can't love you back the way that he wants to or the way that you want to be loved. I have a copy reserved for you. I think it'll touch a nerve in your heart. Call 866-95-FABRY. Be as generous as you can here in December, and and we'd appreciate it. 866-953-2279. Or just go to chrisfabrylive.org. Scroll down. You'll see how you can be a friend with us or a partner. Chris Fabry, F-A-B-R-Y, chrisfabrylive.org. Kerry Schmidt serves as the senior pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newington, Connecticut. He put the connect in Connecticut. He and his wife, Dana, have been married 34 years. They have three children, four grandchildren, and a fifth is in the bullpen. Kerry has written more than a dozen books. He hosts the Leading in the Gospel podcast. He actually had me on that thing after he was on with us last time, talking about his excellent book, Stop Trying, How to Receive, Not Achieve Your Real Identity, which I think works into what we're going to talk about today. Our featured resource is Steady Strength. Remember those two words, Steady Strength. 
Reversing Ministry's Dangerous Drift Toward Depletion. And my guess is there is a pastor or ministry leader you know who needs the encouragement contained in the covers of this book. Again, you can find it at the website, chrisfabrylive.org. Carrie, welcome back. How are you doing today? Hey, Chris. It's great to be back. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on again. Don Sisk is the first name I uh, encountered, and you dedicated the book to him. What was it, is it about Don that made him such a great example for you? Oh, Don is one of my dearest friends. He is 90 years old, and he has served in full-time ministry all around the world, primarily missions, since, uh, well, for 70 years now. And uh, he's just one of the most joyful life-giving individuals, and he still travels every week of his life to some church to teach and preach the Bible and encourage people to do uh, the work of the gospel around the world. It's amazing. Wow. No wonder. No wonder (laughs) you dedicated to him. And when you find somebody like that, who is this pattern, and and there's probably not a whole lot of fanfare, you know, he doesn't get a limo from the airport into the, to the church or anything like that. He he comes as, as somebody who's just there to serve and to do what he does. Um, When, when you have the chance to recognize him, it's, it's special, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's, he's a gem of a person and a great friend and mentor. So the main target of this book is pastors, but don't you think all of us can benefit? Oh, 100%. I mean, the center of the target is pastors because we, you know, that's the life I'm living. So I'm talking about particular challenges that are, you know, that pastors are feeling right now. But broadly speaking, as I was working on the book, I'm thinking, man, I hope more than pastors read this because this is just really important advice for anybody trying to find health and life, you know, in their, in their routines. Yeah. Sunday school teachers, those who volunteered uh, in some ministry form, but also well, also the pastors. And if you're a pastor and you're listening today and you say, I'd love to ask Carrie a question, but I can't call in because people will recognize my voice, call us anyway and and give your uh, message to Trisha or Gabby T, and they'll pass it along to me. Or you can answer on Facebook, but, you know, of course you have to do the social media thing. So, but uh, here's the number 877-548-3675. Is that true? What I said a little earlier about the whole setback, adversity, discouragement, that might be God's invitation for something better. It, there's no doubt, Chris. It absolutely is. I mean, that's what Romans eight twenty eight promises us that God is working all things together for our good and so many times in my life, in 34 years of ministry, God has seemingly taken me through a really dark or difficult or hard time, and it was the it was the preface, it was the predecessor to some of His greatest blessings or some some of the greatest victories were just beyond some of that hardship. So it's it it, it absolutely is God often setting us free from ourselves. Can you give me? And I'm putting you on your spot. But can you give me a specific for that, some setback, adversity, discouragement that you stayed with, that you were steady through, you trusted him, and you allowed him to do something in you that wouldn't have been done had you not lived that way? Well, there's there's many of them, but there's one really big one. Twelve years ago, I had cancer uh, growing in five regions of my chest and wondering what kind of cancer it was, how how extensive was it? And uh, just surrendered myself all over again to the Lord. You know, early 40s, young dad, 
growing kids, you know, I'm in the middle of a thriving life in ministry, everything comes to a grinding halt. And I, I hesitate to, to share too much of the details because there's so many folks that are fighting cancer right now, and it, it doesn't always go this way. And, and God is, the gospel is the good news, no matter what happens in these situations. I surrendered to the Lord, whether he wanted to take me home early or whether he wanted to do something else through my cancer. And and now 12 years later, the story that God has written that began, the, the, the seedbed of it was that cancer journey. It's just indescribable, uh, the blessings and the things that God has done. Every day is a bonus day to me. Every year, I just thank God for one more year to serve him and love my family. Uh, but the last 12 years, we've 11, we've seen God re, uh, revitalize a church in New England that was hurt and and discouraged and wearied and declining. And just to see the power of the gospel and new life, and just to have been a part of that the last 11 years, it wouldn't have happened had not got, had God not taken us through that cancer journey. So that's probably one of the most uh, life redefining moments. And, and it was dark. It was hard for a, for a year. And that area of the country is known for its, uh, well, how would you say, secularization? Uh, not there's not a, a vibrant spiritual thing that has that you associate with New England, except <laughs> except when the light turns on and and people begin to realize, hey, there's there's something more here than just what what we're seeing. That God is at work. Are you experiencing that at all? Uh, so much. I mean, the culture, the culture is pervasively secular, post-Christian, post-Catholic, and even a lot of mysticism and a lot of cultism, uh, Wicca and other things. But um, but just um, t- in tandem to that, you know, the darker the night, the brighter the light, the, the more pervasive the darkness and the secularism and the, the paganism the more the hunger of the human heart, the more acute it is felt. And so we are finding in the midst of a pervasively secular culture uh, a, an amazing harvest of hungry souls. And every day, every week of our lives, we are sharing Jesus with people who know nothing about him. They, they've never heard the gospel or the gospel they've heard was so perverted and is beyond recognition and you know, very religious or traditional and so it is, it's remarkable to see, a, frankly, a Christian revival is happening in this very dark part of, of the world. And it is hard. It makes it hard that our culture is scornful and, and so pervasively pagan. Uh, we, don't, we don't get the benefits that some parts of the country have of that more moral or more Christian culture. But uh, it's, it's remarkable to see God at work in desperately hungry hearts. Well, if you feel like that bird that I experienced, that I've explained about Ralph a little earlier, uh, I want you to call us today. I want you, maybe you don't have to call. Just listen to to us today, because if you are depleted in ministry, if you are ready to give up, because whatever that means for you, I want you to hear what Pastor Kerry Schmidt has to say. His book is Steady Strength. Reversing Ministry's Dangerous Drift Toward Depletion. We're going to talk more about that. And if you want to uh, have a conversation with us, 
888-346-3675 or go to the website chrisfabrylive.org. Pastor Kerry Schmidt is back. His book, Steady Strength, is our featured resource, chrisfabrylive.org. There is a paragraph that jumped off the page to me, and we're going to read it to you right now and get him to respond. God's strength comes to us in counterintuitive ways. He fortifies us through weakness. Still listen to that again. He fortifies us through weakness, delivers us through disruptions, and infuses courage by calling us to intimidating assignments. Why? Because our hearts gravitate to human strength, visible, measurable, tangible forms of power and success. We prefer strategies and tactics over waiting and depending. But his strength transcends our best plans and infuses our deepest fears. His truth anchors us at our core. Unpack that for me, Carrie. <laughs> That's a mouthful, isn't it, Chris? Um, well, it takes me back to Genesis 15 when God said to Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And the way I teach that is he's saying to Abraham, I'm, ba- I'm basically everything you ever hoped for, dreamed for, and ever wanted in life. I'm your shield. That's your protection and safety and security. I'm your I'm I'm the one you run to and find refuge in and hide in. I'm the one that resolves all of your vulnerability and your fragility and all the things about you that make you fearful, shield, and your exceeding great reward. I mean that the the, the two modifiers, exceeding great reward, that's amazing. But God's saying, I'm I'm everything you long for. I'm everything you could dream of and desire. I'm the better fulfillment of all that your heart could ever want or desire. It's an amazing conversation that Abraham has with God ensuing after that. But Chris, I think you're reading from the part of the book that begins with the idea of insufficiency. And, you know, when you launch into serving Jesus or following Jesus, the first thing you find out is that you are in way over your head. And that's really built into it. And the the more we struggle against that and fight it, resist it, and try to prove that axiom wrong, the more we just spin our wheels. But when we finally embrace, and, and by embrace, I don't mean we, we give in and despair, but I mean, by the, by the time we finally accept as a God-given thing our finiteness, our insufficiency, our weakness, then we are really forced to just thrust ourselves wholeheartedly with total abandon into his good and loving care and into his heart. And then we find out he is a better Lord than everything else we were chasing. And we find out the things he does actually do fulfill us. Well, this goes back to uh, the, the last book that we talked about, Stop Trying, but it goes to our proclivity to want to impress God, to want to get him to notice us, to want to do things to make him feel better about us because we think he's mad at us, so we're going to, you know, do, do, do. And I was reading Psalm 77 this morning. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me in the day of my trouble. I see, you know, it's just like this uh, Asaph is going through 
some really hard times. Mm-hmm. And verse 19 be, says, your way was through the sea. <laughs> and it's like, well, wait a minute. That's a, your way was through the sea. You, you mean in a boat? No, not in a boat. And that's what the devotion that day, it says, how implausible that would have seemed to Israel as they stood with their backs to the sea and the Egyptians pursuing them. Yet God's ways run counter to our intuitions. Mm-hmm. He works in defiance of what our puny minds can predict. The cross is the supreme instance of this. In the Old Testament, his way was through the sea. In the New Testament, his way is through the cross. And I and I read that and read what you have written in it here about insufficiency, and it just all comes together. Stop striving. You can't do that. The point is you can't do this on your own. you got to trust in him. Mm-hmm. So why 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 is it taking me this long <laughs> to cast all of that on him rather than striving in my own effort and power? Uh, Chris, I'm 55. I've been doing this for 34 years and been a Christian for 47, and I feel like a kindergartner. I, I just feel like I'm just now learning what this really means to live in the gospel. And and everything you're talking about is it goes back to the gospel. We trust the gospel to save us, but we forget that we stand in the gospel and it's the gospel that shapes us. And this is the good news. And it re- really is all about what Jesus has done and what he is doing, not what I'm doing for him. Now, it's not to say that that he isn't doing something through me. He is, I am his workmanship created unto good works, but I'm certainly not impressing him. He certainly doesn't need me. I can please him. I can honor him. But when it comes to the, the ministry of my life and the product of my life, the pursuits of my life, really, I just need to rest and follow him and co-labor with him. I need to fly behind him in his slipstream. I need to get in that yoke that is restful, that that he says is easy and light, but it's so difficult. We struggle with it every single day. You need to get into the draft. You know, NASCAR has this thing where you, if you follow the lead car, if you get in the, the draft, the air doesn't, it flows over you rather than keeping that, you know, and so the, the car in front goes faster, but the cars behind go faster. And then all of them together, you know, push, push mm-hmm. them. And so you get into that kind of effort where you're you're buoyed by someone else something else and you realize this is not and it, it doesn't mean that you don't try anymore it doesn't mean even though you said to stop trying it doesn't mean that you don't have your effort and that it's not important and that you don't pray anymore and you just sit down and let god do everything but you you realize where that power is coming from i had a call of last week after the program the caller didn't get on the air but she was really struggling with this whole thing about, you know, I feel I've done as much as I can, but it's never enough. I never feel like God is happy with me. I never, I feel like he's mad at me all the time, and I feel like I can never do enough to please him. And as it came around to what she was saying, what she was doing was projecting onto God what she was feeling herself, that she couldn't mm-hmm. do enough, mm-hmm. and, and that that was— was the tip of the spear was in her own attitude about who God was because and I you know tried to talk what would you say to to a person like that who says I just I just don't feel like I'm measuring up to what God wants 
Well, that's a person who has lost uh, sight of the gospel and who is uh, Satan's the accuser of the brethren. So Satan and his team, they're really good at reminding us where we fall short. And, you know, I don't want to blame everything on the devil. We, we're good at it ourselves. We're pretty hard on ourselves. And we know our flaws. We know uh, where we need to grow. And But in view of the gospel, what we're doing, what that lady is doing, you just called it, she's imposing onto God her own performance-based orientation. She's imposing her own drivenness, her own demands on onto God and uh, projecting onto God instead of understanding the God of Scripture who says, I'm as far as the east is from the west and as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far I'm going to remove your transgressions. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to deal with you. Because of Jesus and the cross, I'm not going to deal with you according to your iniquities. The, the gospel is so simple, Chris, but we, even we believers on a daily basis, struggle to actually believe it and actually live from it and move it from our heads to our hearts and really live in and out of the good news. It's good news. Because he did it. He (laughs) He accomplished everything that we're trying to impress God with doing. He's already done that. And we're working against that when we try to make our right to add, add to that. Okay. So, talk to the pastor who's listening right now who's I agree with everything you're saying but especially in these last few years with covid and everything the numbers are down the measurable indicators are down we haven't had a baptism in however long that church over there is doing where I'm comparing myself with something else the ministry aspect of this that the, the window that I've hit that I'm laying on the ground of is my comparison with what's God's doing in everybody else's life. What do you say to that pastor? Comparison is just torture and it's always a losing game. I talk about this in the book. The, the, the essence of what you're driving at Chris is really part one of the book. And that is called cultivating a strong core. And it really drives at our motivational and our aspirational center. What, what's driving me and what am I chasing? What am I pursuing in, in the ministry as a pastor? And probably one of the most important statements to me in the book is success is obedience. Because so many of us coming through college and seminary and coming into our early ministry, we have ideas of what success looks like. And success is is a metric. It's it's an attendance number. It's a conversion or baptism number, and or it's a certain uh, accomplishment academically or in some other way. And I'm not saying all those things aren't wonderful. Everybody in ministry should desire for more people to come to Christ, more people to be baptized, for churches to be healthy. All of that is wonderful. But you know, there's a lot of people in Scripture that did not experience those kind of visible metrics. I mean, how about Ezekiel? who was sent by God. Ezekiel wants to be a priest. On his 30th birthday, he would have been a priest in Jerusalem. But on his 30th birthday, he's sitting on a dusty riverbank in Babylon, the last place he ever imagined being. And yet that's where he encountered God. And so to, to put a simple answer to this, Chris, we have, we've got to plow up all of the fallow ground of our weak and flawed motivations and aspirations, 
And we've got to find a fresh delight in simply obeying our wonderful Savior. Hmm. And that, that's a process. <laughs> okay. That was just what I was going to say. And mm-hmm. Trish is going to roll our eyes because over the last year or so, we've, we've been talking about this. We are so outcome-oriented. We want the mm-hmm. outcome that we want. We want, here's the goal. Here's the one-year goal and the five-year goal and whatever. No, mm-hmm. the goals aren't bad. But the outcome is what we're looking at, and we forget the the ministry, the, the the power of the process, that God is more interested, as you said, in obedience and what the, that process looks like in us than he is in the outcome. He, he already is deferring the outcome. I mean, he's going to be with us through the outcome. Do you mm-hmm. see that at work here, too? Oh, totally. And it reminds me, when Jesus sent out his disciples to do uh, you know, evangelistic ministry, they came back. And remember what they said to him. They said, hey, even the, devil, the, the, the devils are subject. We can cast out devils. And Jesus said, hey, guys, don't rejoice. Don't rejoice that the devils are subject to you. Rejoice, rather, that your names are written in the book of life. And this is exactly the nerve center he's he's targeting. Don't rejoice in what you think you can do or in the outcomes you think you can produce. Make your greater joy the gospel. Mm. Steady strength, reversing ministry's dangerous drift toward depletion is written by Carrie Schmidt. It's our featured resource. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. More with Pastor Schmidt straight ahead on Moody Radio. I've been telling you about a gospel-infused ministry that needs the church to come alongside it. There is burnout, there is depletion, there's frustration. In any ministry endeavor, imagine the joy CareNet has of coming alongside women and men in a crisis pregnancy situation to help save the life of a child. That's happened more than a million times since 2008. But many don't choose life. And that can be a struggle for those who are working behind the scenes. CareNet believes the abortion issue is a discipleship issue because what men and women need most of all is the liberating love of Jesus in their lives. And that's why CareNet developed Making Life Disciples, not to go for the breadth, but for the depth, a program that helps churches come alongside and provide compassion and hope and help and get to know who Jesus is, discipleship to women and men who are considering abortion. Learn how your church can get involved when you click the green CareNet button at chrisfabrylive.org. You don't have to go through this alone if you're trying to make that decision right now. You do not have to. The people at CareNet want to come alongside you. Find out more at chrisfabrylive.org. Click the green CareNet button today right there at chrisfabrylive.org, where you'll find out more about Pastor Kerry Schmidt. He has written a book that we're talking about today, Steady Strength, Reversing Ministry's Dangerous Drift Toward Depletion. I want you to talk about the, um, the pastors who since COVID have, you know, maybe it's been comparison or 
they just and I've seen these statistics and the the lifeway results of surveys where they just say I can't do this anymore. I've hit a wall. I just I I don't I'm not able it's not I'm not walking away from my faith, but I'm just so depleted. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that pastor? The 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 experience of depletion is normal. Burnout is avoidable. And that's really what the target of this book is. But depletion is something that's inevitable if we don't understand what depletes us and at what rate it's depleting, and and then offset it by refueling, renewing, and uh, restoring, partaking in the opportunities God's given us, the strength He offers us, and renewing. And if we don't renew, then we are going to hit a wall of burnout, and we are going to want to get out. Of ministry now, the COVID dynamic, Chris, is is interesting because it what COVID revealed was real flaws and cracks in the foundation uh, that were being masked. We we could see we we were we were cruising forward and things were fine until they weren't, and they suddenly, very suddenly, weren't fine, and all of a sudden we didn't have the sense of fulfillment that we thought we had. We didn't have the durability we thought we had. And that's because we were not cultivating the foundational components that are not dependent on visible metrics and results and mm. full auditoriums and things like that. So that that's a unique dynamic, but it is, I just want to say to that pastor, uh, it's not unrecoverable. Uh, it is a process of getting your heart and soul in the place where obedience is your primary driver and where you reset around the gospel. And then it is about cultivating practices that are aimed at replenishing and sustaining a healthy soul. And that's spirit, soul, and body. And the book talks about all three parts of that. Okay. So you say that wellness reproduces wellness. If the leader, uh, the pastor, whatever the ministry is, if the leader is not well, then the organism is not going to be well. What does that mean, wellness reproduces wellness? Well, I think that we are, if we bring toxic souls into, into ministry environment, we try to compartmentalize. We think that we can be depleted and then put on a happy face and stand up and teach God's Word and somehow you know, limp our way through. No, we're going to reproduce what we are because we are breathing into that environment what we really are. And in this case, that would be we're we're hip- we're, we're playing the, a duplicitous role. We're hypocrites, essentially. We're faking it. And so we, we end up getting the culture that, we, that exists in our own soul. I think of it this way, Chris, Psalm 23, Jesus is a shepherd and he leads his sheep towards health, green, uh, green water, green pasture, still waters. And, and uh, that's how he shepherds me. How can an unhealthy shepherd lead sheep to health? So this book is really a lot about self-care, but not selfish care. It's about self-care for the purpose of bringing that soul health, that spiritual flourishing into church ministry environments so that you can lead a healthy church as well. It's about being a shepherd that is uh, living in the gospel and displaying that weakness dependent on Jesus. But so many pastors that I've known, and this is not criticism, so many pastors I've known have been type A Go, go, go. Any need that's out there, you're there. 
And if if there's a sickness, you're at the hospital or at the house, at the home, or, you know, you're just, you're everything to all people at all times. And a lot of times the family then bears the brunt of that, mm-hmm. bears the brunt of you not, not being there. So we have then this mind, and, and the church then fosters that. If there's a problem here, the pastor's got to be here. And if he's not, then, you know, what's wrong with him? You know, you don't you—we <laughs> we, we want Superman, and you can't have that. So it takes a, a certain amount of maturity in order to be able to be uh, comfortable in your insufficiency to say— no, I can't do that, and to let it go without uh, the voices, because you're always going to hear voices saying, well, you should have done this and you should have done that. You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Well, in that model, you're sort of, you wouldn't say it this way, but it, it's kind of like you're trying to be Jesus, and instead of being like Jesus or instead of following Jesus, you're trying to be him, you're trying to be the Savior, and you're sort of teaching your church to think that you are and again, we wouldn't say it that way, but the, the appropriate approach is to do what we can, uh, but then to recognize our finiteness and to teach our church that we are, we are growing followers of Jesus. We are insufficient. We are weak. We are not Jesus. And uh, I don't want, I want to love my church well. And part of what you're talking about, Chris, is driven on, in, in part, it's driven by those of us in ministry, we love our churches. We love our church families. We really do want to be everywhere all the time. Right. We want to be there for these people, and 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 yet we can't be if we're gonna if we're gonna give them our best. Uh, then we just have to put up some boundaries, and if we're gonna do the best for them, we're gonna have to teach them to be more dependent on Jesus mm. than on us. Well, if you look at it, though, if you put Jesus under a microscope and you look, he let certain people down. I mean, Lazarus, mm-hmm. sisters and, and Lazarus, you know, are waiting there and he he waits. And of course, the, the miraculous happens. But in those in those days, you know, they're disappointed with him. They, they, they think he's kind of let him down. If you were here, if you'd been here then. Um, and there are other play, other times when he says, we need to get away from here. You know, here's all these people. Look at all that ministry right there, and Jesus going the other side of the of the lake, mm-hmm. and going up into the hill, and they can't find him. And they, so, even Jesus modeled this, though we don't look. It's it's much easier to be stay busy and to stay doing all the ministry because that's where again we're going back to the identity. Is my identity that I can do all this stuff? Or is my identity, I'm allowing him to be who he is and allowing me to be obedient to what he's called me to do? We tend to think that the strength of Jesus makes us infinite, makes us perpetual flowing resources, that there's just no end to what we can do. And in actuality, God has put us into finite uh, vessels, vessels of clay, weak vessels that have limits. Our bodies have limits. We need a certain amount of rest and nutrition, and we've got certain things going on in our brain and, and, and body, and all of it impacts whether we're flourishing or not. And so the strength of Jesus is there, but it needs to be consumed. It needs to be 
partaken in, like like that living, what good is living water if you don't drink it? And to me, the, the drinking process is is the, the, the restoration. It's the down times, it's the off times, it's the renewing times. It's the times that, that I set apart to come apart and rest a while and renew. Instead of falling apart, right? <laughs> exactly. And it's going to be one of the two. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially this time of year. I mean, think mm-hmm. of the pressure that's on churches at Christmas. And you've got mm-hmm. to have the perfect this and that. And the, the music has to be. And think of how many people are, you know, the pressure is there for the performance. Think of how many people this is the only time, other than Easter, this is the only time. And we're just, and you can get so performance oriented that you forget the reason why you're doing it in the first place. It's your own heart that needs replenishing and renewing and to look in wonder at what God has done for you and me. Uh, you're, you're, you're touching every nerve of my heart, Chris. And think of this, Chris, we can never compete with the performances of the world. I mean, the world is full of performance and entertainment. And it doesn't fulfill. And when people step into my church this Christmas or Easter or whenever they do, they come with hungry hearts and empty souls and performance isn't going to meet that need. They need, they need to see Jesus. They need to, to be ministered to from a heart that's overflowing in love with Jesus and they, they need to be touched by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, by the truth of the gospel, because that is the, that is the hunger that no performance can ever satisfy. So, do we really believe that? See, do we believe it, or do we like the measured uh, incremental, uh, the numbers, the, or even the emotive things, the feeling? You know, I like the feeling when you sing this song. I like the feeling of that, and I feel like I really praise the Lord when I, when I hear this or when I get the goosebumps and that kind of thing. And, and I don't, you know, I want you to have goosebumps. If you're listening to the program, I want you to have that. But is that what it's really all about? Steady Strength is written by Carrie Schmidt. I think it's an important book, and it's one that's going to help somebody in ministry really see that success is obedience. More straight ahead. This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio. Coming up tomorrow at the Backyard Fence, he's back, Lee, Lee Strobel. Yeah, we're going to talk about if God is real or not. That's one of those uh, questions that they put in the search engines. Is God real? So listen for Lee Strobel tomorrow. Hey, thanks for your support at the Radio Backyard Fence. Can't do what we do without you. If you want to give a gift of any size, you can do that today. At the back fence, go to chrisfabrylive.org or call 866-95-FABRY. December is a big month. I've said that before this hour, but I'll say it again. Thank you for what you do at the back fence. If you go to the website today, click through to today's information, you'll see more about Pastor Kerry Schmidt. He's written our featured resource today, Steady Strength, Reversing Ministry's Dangerous Drift Toward Depletion. And here's where I struggle most, Carrie. It is in the the idea of resolution. I love resolution because something bad happens in my life and I will want to figure out why it is there. 
And so I will go <laughs> all over the the place. I'll do the high jump. I'll I'll do every gymnastics, everything spiritually, gymnastically that I can in order to figure out why has God put this in my life? Oh, I know what it is. He did this over here. So this is going to happen. This is going to. So if I figure it out, then I can have this resolution in my life. And nine times out of 10, I don't know what he's doing. I don't have that big picture. I'm not trusting in him when I try to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. So there is this tension in my faith, this tension in my life that I'm struggling with that you have gone into. And that the the idea of our spiritualizing things and throwing uh, verses at people to make them feel better, and uh, this has even happened to me. When you, I will use prayer. Well, let's pray about that. Now, what could be wrong with prayer? There's nothing wrong with prayer. You're you're dependent on God. But when I use prayer to distance myself from the person that I'm praying for, then there is a problem there, and I'm using prayer for something that it really wasn't designed to do. So, Carrie, it's all yours. What do you say about that? Well, I think that you're right. We, as Christians, as believers— we want to spiritualize everything, and and to some degree, there is a spiritual connection in principle, in truth, to every struggle we face. But by that, uh, what I'm saying is we try to oversimplify, and we think if we're having a hard time, we must not be right with God in some way, and we must need to pray more and read our Bible more. And Chris, we are threefold beings, spirit, soul, and body, and the the wellness of our lives and our souls is it's all three, and they're they're very interconnected. I don't know that I could even successfully uh, detangle them, but I know this: there is to my times of depletion and to renewal and to a sustainable, flourishing, healthy soul. There is a three-part approach. I need to address my heart spiritually, but I also need to look at what's going on in my body and in my emotions, my psychology, and the Bible speaks to both of these things. And science has taught us so much about even brain chemistry and what's going on when I when I haven't slept enough or when I'm dealing with a lot of stress or a lot of tension or a high, you know, a, a toxic environment. What's going on in my body and in my brain? And we talk about these things in the book. It's it's uh, it, it's wonderful to to do a wholehearted approach to wellness. Isn't that why you, that's why you told the story of Ralph. I mentioned it at the beginning of the program and you mm-hmm. do this in the introduction of the bird that flies into the window. You're, you're there having your devotions in the morning, connecting with him each day. I don't care whether you're a leader in the church or not, being able to connect at some level, your heart with the heart of God is so important in that depletion, isn't it? It's absolutely important. And, and, and what's, equally important is that I listen to the Spirit of God and the Word of God in those moments when he says, okay, like he said to Elijah, lay down and sleep, rise up and eat, (laughs) lay down and sleep again, rise up and eat. Okay, now, Elijah, now that you're in your right mind because you've eaten and slept, now I'm going to talk to you spiritually and make sense out of what you're going through. Same thing could be said with Paul. He hit bottom a couple times, once was in Corinth after he'd come through Athens. He's alone. He's depleted. He gets out of ministry, essentially takes a job uh, making tents. He's desperate to get back to Thessalonica, but God won't let him get back there. He uses words like distress, despair. Uh, he was really having a hard time. 
but God gave him good work. He gave him a beautiful place to stay. He gave him time to, to restore. And then he brought his friends, Titus, Timothy, brought an offering from Thessalonica. And Acts says that Paul was renewed. He was revived in his spirit. So it's not that Paul lost faith. It's that he reached, a, 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 he hit a wall like that flying bird, like Ralph, and he needed to restore. And it's okay that you hit the wall. It really is okay. So talk. we've talked mainly to the the person who is the leader. Talk to the people who are the followers, the people in the pew. Uh, and we've intimated, we danced around this about how we can be part of the problem and make the leader feel like, you know, you have to measure up. But what more can people in the pew do for leaders to head off the depletion? Well, they can see their leaders as sheep, as following the shepherd that they're following, and let them participate in the life of the church family as everyone else gets to. The question in the story of Paul is, you know, Paul was ministering to everybody. Who was ministering to Paul? And what I would encourage church family members to realize is in ministry, every single day of your pastor's life, somebody is whacking him. Somebody is hitting him with either criticism or scorn or hardship. And so who's going to be the person that puts life into him? And how can that be then? Is it is it a, a word? Is it a phone call? Is it a text? Is it a note? Is it a pack of gum that he, you know, how, how do you do that? It's all of that. It's pastor, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm your friend. I'm on your side. And I am running the race with you. Thank you for being my pastor. Thank you for being faithful. Just encourage him. I mean, we need encouragement like everybody else does. Yeah. And you don't have to lie either. You know, it's a, that no. was the best sermon ever. And you have to compare it with somebody. No, it's just, just, just say what's true, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you've got a faithful pastor, take care yeah. of him. And, and I've, I'm blessed that way, Chris, my church family and our deacons and finance team, they're my greatest friends. They love me and they nurture me very much. Well, this book might be one of those things that you can give to really encourage. Uh, Carrie Schmidt has been with us. The book is Steady Strength, Reversing Ministry's Dangerous Drift Toward Depletion. You'll find it at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. Carrie, great to have you on with us again. Come back real soon, okay? Thank you, Chris. And coming up tomorrow, as I mentioned on the program, the man, the myth, the legend, Lee Strobel, is God real? He says it's no coincidence one of the most asked questions on any search engine is that question. We'll talk about it right here on Chris Fabry Live, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.